Welcome to Chronosphere Fiction. This is your host, Daniel French. What's that you say? That's not the music and sound effects for Chronosphere Fiction in the background? No, this is a special episode. That music tells you that you're about to hear volume one of Gafgon, the Eternally Unfurnished. It's the first three episodes, remixed and remastered, and a few new sound effects added. Let me introduce your cast, your narrator, as well as the voices of Gafgarn, Wither, Doran, Smidgen, and various townspeople and ruffians are played by the master of voices, Mike Bethel. Elada is voice acted by Julia Eve. Production, direction, sound design, music, and all that good stuff is done by Daniel French. Gafgon, the eternally unfurnished, is written by Jeremiah French. Now, put on your armor and sharpen your swords. It's time for Volume 1 of Gafgon, the Eternally Unfurnished. Gafgarn always hated dust. Not dirt, really, or mud. That kind of dry, annoying dust that wafts up from underfoot when trudging down a lone highway like the lone highway he was currently dredging that night. The dust always got in his nose and eyes, as it did now. And he hated it. It smelled awful. He loved mud. It was cooling, comforting, especially in the heat of battle. Soil had a lovely earthy smell and was a great companion to bashing skulls in. Even sand was nice, hugging his feet while he strangled a dervish or a soldier. Or, well, anything, really. Gafgarn thought he could remember strangling a camel once, but he wasn't sure. The dust was annoying. Even in the cool night air, he couldn't stand it. And on either side of him lay a vast, thick forest of low, prickly trees. So walking on the side of the road was out of the question. Therefore, he begrudgingly trudged like a grumpy bull elephant who wished he could forget. Gafgarn was large, certainly larger than most. He was a mammoth of a man, typically a head taller than any other he'd ever kept company with, or killed. He walked down the road silent, but for his heavy footsteps and deep breathing. He breathed deeply to keep himself calm. His feet were heavy due to large, impressive boots he wore. In fact, they stood out among his other belongings. A ragged, tattered wolf fur cape hung from his shoulders, its gnarled hood covering his enormous head. It looked worn away from years of use and old bloodstains had soaked permanently into some patches of fur. A long leather-bound haft jutted over his right shoulder from under the cape, seemingly attached to some form of weapon. 
He wore an even worse-looking brown leather jerkin over a black cotton, long-sleeved shirt. The sleeves of the shirt were frayed at the wrist, and the elbows had small holes all about them. His black pants fared no better. The right leg with a large torn hole over a scarred and gnarled knee. Rough knuckles rose from contemptible fingerless gloves. He was unremarkable, aside from his size and his boots. They were, by far, the most magnificent and useful boots he'd ever seen. More than most had seen, in fact. On this crude visage, they demanded the eye's devotion. A silver-white metal protected the toes, heel, ankle, and bottom and top of the foot with odd black and red designs inscribed into them like tendrils or vines. Only Gafgar knew they were actually from an ancient language, a cipher of some sort. He didn't know much about it, only what the effects of the inscriptions on the boots did. Even in the clouds of dust that rose from Gafgarn's heavy steps, the sublime boots appeared spotless and pristine. The insides had been laboriously padded. No toe was ever bruised from smashing, which was a favorite pastime of the giant. Nails bent under the soles, which was great, as sharp objects in his feet seemed to annoy Gafgarn more than dust did. All manner of weapons recoiled from striking the boots, and he had grown to love this fact and became quite adept at blocking attacks with his feet. Usually he just punched people or squished them. Thinking of squishing people made Gafgarn hungry, so he was happy to see the light of a large inn just around a bend in the road. He could hear the ruckus of happy drinking, flirting, and fighting as his spirits lifted. He stood in front of the inn for a moment, taking in the smell of meat pies, ale, and sweat, and was taken back to his encampment with his men, drinking alongside them, pinching the wealthy buttocks of a passing wench, and occasionally brawling, usually over pinching the wealthy buttocks of a fellow man's wife. Gafgar never understood marriage. He pushed the happy memory aside, pulled his hood down slightly, and entered the tavern. Everything stopped when Gafgarn stepped in. Every word cut off, every mouth halted mid-chew, every pull from a tankard frozen, and every eye on the giant. Then those eyes rested on his boots. They widened, and Gafgarn could see some mouths salivate. The large inn was full of dirty-looking men, all with red bandanas on. One skinny man in a blue suit with black pinstripes sat in the corner with piles of books, barely taking notice of the new occupant. His dark blue eyes moved quickly behind small spectacles, and his grand bristly mustache twitched as he mouthed words in a hectic speed. Several waitresses nervously continued about their business. Gafgarn simply gazed back from under his hood and clomped to the bar pushing aside a stool to stand in front of the barkeep. Can, can I help you? The thin man said in a weak voice as he looked up. Gafgarn placed several copper coins on the table and muttered, mm, Ale and food. 
in the low, grumbly voice. One would expect to come from a pit of crocodiles in need of root canals. The barkeep didn't bother counting the coins, but quickly filled a tankard for the giant, grabbing a meat pie and bringing them over. Gafgarn ate the sample-sized pie in three gargantuan bites, and then slowly enjoyed his ale, standing the entire time. The bartender suggested he take a seat, but Gafgarn simply ignored the tiny man. As the giant enjoyed his ale, gazing into it between gulps, a group of four ragtag men shuffled up behind him with knives and swords drawn. Hearing them unsheath their weapons, Gafgarn turned around, taking a deep pull from his tankard. As one attempted to speak threateningly, a large, dirty man still resting a healthy head under the behemoth Gafgarn raised an imposing palm up to stop the man mid-sentence. He took one last, long, deep pull of ale, finished off the tankard. His head moved far back, making his hood fall off as he looked down at the men. Gafgarn's face was gruff and dark, with a bulbous nose, squared face, and large, expressive brow. He had a beard of stubble, with hair of equal length on his head. It looked as if he had shaved his entire head sometime in the prior week. Scars decorated his features, cutting down his chin, along a cheek, across thick lips and through an eyebrow. Bored, dark brown eyes browsed the faces of the awestruck men standing before him. His head rested resolutely on a neck thicker than the typical man's thigh. Veins popped along his muscles like the roots of a tree from a solid stone. He rested the empty tankard on the counter and stood looking at the men. The large, scraggly one with the empty threat continued. Your shoes, mate. They're shiny and look like they'd fetch a nice price. And Gafgarn responded indifferently in his deep and partial voice. The man smelled of dust. The men exchanged confused looks. Then, the smallest of the four stood on his toes and prodded Gafgarn's chest with the tip of a dagger. Oi! Are you daft or somewhat? We'd like to fetch that price, see? Hand him over, easy like, and we'll leave you to your drinking. Gafgarn swiftly struck out, smashing the man's face with a fist as large as his head. The dagger spun in the air in front of Gafgarn's chest as the man hit the floor, unconscious with a broken nose. As the dagger stuck in the floor, the larger man reached to punch Gafgarn in the jaw. He was knocked out cold by a quick elbow to the chin. Oh! The third man swiped down at Gafgarn's knee with his sword. But Gafgarn was again far quicker. He brought up a boot to deflect the weapon. Simultaneously, grabbing the back of the man's head and thrusting it into his rising knee. The man slumped to the floor, holding his face and making odd choking noises. Gafgarn looked to the fourth, who backpedaled on buckling knees. The man placed his fingers in his mouth, letting loose a piercing whistle. Everyone except for the suited academic stood up where they sat, readying clubs, maces, swords, and daggers. You really are daft, Lummox, the fourth man said, smiling. This is Smidgen's posse, oi. You're gonna have to answer for that one, mate. 
Is that really his name? Smidgen? Gafgarn responded, raising a huge eyebrow. The man laughed. Aye, he runs this here highway, and he'd like them boots. Now we'll be taking them off your corpse. Gafgarn stood by the bar, unflinching, as the group of men began walking slowly forward, brandishing their weapons and crooked smiles. In the corner of his eye, he saw the well-dressed man stand up. The man grabbed the heavy book he was reading, closed it, and walked nonchalantly around his table to the nearest hoodlum, who, so focused on Gafgarn, hadn't noticed the skinny man's movement. He stood behind the hoodlum, feeling the covers of the heavy book for a moment, and smiling innocently. Then, abruptly, his eyes and smile widened into something Gafgarn could only think of as astonishingly psychotic, as he slammed the heavy book across the backside of the hoodlum's head. The man fell unconscious to the floor, as the well-dressed man then tossed the book with all of his strength at the nearest bandit. The book slammed into the target's nose, just as he turned towards the well-dressed man. Several other men twisted around in surprise. There were 10 men between Gafgarn and the well-dressed man now. And what happened next did so very quickly and very brutally. Three men lunged at Gafgarn, who lifted a stool with one hand and smashed it against two of the men, launching them. The third man tackled Gafgarn at the waist, pushing him back into the bar. He attempted to catch himself with his arm, but it slid across the counter strangely, as if the surface had been covered in a slippery soap. The giant toppled awkwardly to the floor as the third man's axe blade bit into the bar top. From the floor, Gafgarn kicked out at the man's knee and smiled in satisfaction at the pop as the kneecap knocked out of place. And the man squealed in pain. A fourth rushed over, swinging a club at Gafgarn's face. He blocked it with one boot and used the other to break the man's ankle. The man screamed as he hit the floor. It was cut short by an elbow to the back of the head. Gafgarn vaulted up onto his feet, just as a fist hit him square in the eye. He recoiled, falling into a chair, which inexplicably slid out from under him. As he dropped onto the floor, he reached back to grab the chair by its backrest. Swinging it at the fifth attacker, the chair showered the arena in splinters and pieces. The man fell to the floor unconscious. At the same time, the well-dressed man raised his arms up, pointing loose fists at his group of bandits. With a squeeze of his fingers, he launched bolts out from his sleeves, shooting two men in the head. As they slumped to the ground lifeless, three other men rushed with weapons brandished, two more finger twitches, and bolts stuck into two more heads. The last man rushed the well-dressed man with a knife, stabbing down at his neck. The well-dressed man was quick. In one fluid movement, he stepped forward under the knife, reaching out and snapping the man's wrist with one hand and slamming his other palm into the man's stomach. As he did this, a blade shot out from his sleeve with a soft mechanic noise, cutting into the bandit. The well-dressed man smiled once more as he slowly stepped back, releasing the bandit. He watched the man slouch down in pain and then stood silently, watching, as he gathered a black handkerchief from under his jacket and used it to clean his blade. Gafgarn had stood up at this point, looking around at the bandits. The one with the pop kneecap was still squirming and whining. Gafgarn kneeled over him and asked, Where 
is smidgen. The man just whimpered and held his knee. Tell me where he is, Gafgarn demanded. I can't tell you! Uh, the injured man responded. Uh, he'll kill me! You messed up my knee! Gafgarn grunted. These boots mess up a lot of things. Tell me where your boss is, or I'll show you more they can do. Gafgarn stood and tapped his toes on the floor. He was never a very patient man. The man spoke between pained gasps. Ah, no! Please don't! No more! Further down the road, there's a small trail. Ah, oh, it's real easy to miss. Take that for about a day. Look for a knoll out in the forest. We got to camp out there. Ah, oh, he's there. Oh man, this really hurts. Good boy, Gafgarn smirked, serving a quick punch to knock the man unconscious. He turned to the well-dressed man, who had begun to walk over. He talked in an eloquent, relaxed, and friendly voice that lubricated the ears like a silky aural molasses, though it flowed like a torrent. Well, old boy, it seems these miscreants lacked a certain kind of wisdom sorely needed for survival. How they thought to best you, I'm quite uncertain. Though the why is very clear. The suit's eyes gazed down at the boots. Gafgarn simply snorted, turned about, and ordered another drink. The suit persisted, unruffled, walking over to the bar and sitting on a stool next to the giant. I do believe I've misplaced my manners. I am Dr. Withersmod Goldstein III. But you, my good sir, may call me Wither. Or Goldstein. I haven't quite decided yet. At this point, Gafgarn was standing with a tankard up to his lips again, facing Wither, looking bored. Wither continued, his smile present even through his eloquent, rapid speech. And you, old boy, in whose shadow do I have the pleasure of being bathed? Hmm? Gafgarn finished his pull and looked down at Wither, responding curiously. I see small arrows in the man you killed, but no weapon. Wither chuckled, amused and pleased by the question. Ha ha ha! Old boy, what an astute inquiry! I'm sorry to say I must correct you. Those are bolts, not arrows. Typically used in crossbows, you see. One of my beloved inventions, available only up north. Not utilized this far south very often. So it comes as no surprise your observation would prove inaccurate. You wouldn't recognize it anyhow, being that my weapons are concealed. At this, Wither pulled down a sleeve to show something Gafgarn had never seen before. There was a contraption like a small gauntlet of leather with metal bracings around the wrists and rectangular metal chambers on top and underside of the arm. Both chambers had a hole facing outwards towards the hand. The top chambers were large enough for the small bolts to fit through, and the bottom chambers were long and thin, cut for a blade to slide through. Two rings of metal were worn on the middle and ring finger, with a wiry cable running from each into the chambers. Wither continued, pointing at the chambers and speaking proudly and quickly. I have two small crossbows housed in the upper chamber, and a spring-loaded blade in the lower, you see? 
The cables attached to these two rings have been precisely measured, so that a mere flick of a finger may set them off. It's quite simple, really. Don't you agree, old boy? Gaffgarn had stood perfectly still during the explanation. He raised an eyebrow and took another pull off his tankard and responded gruffly. I prefer squishing my enemies. <laughs> yes, I so see, Wither acknowledged, looking around the room behind him. He allowed enough silence for a groan or two to reach his ears, <sighs> smiled at them, and continued. I find your demeanor very interesting, old boy. Your impressive boots belay your humble yet gargantuan appearance. And you seem to forego the use of a stool. Why, I think I saw you slip clear off the boar top. Sweaty palms, perhaps? And did that chair move on its own accord? Gafkarn could see where this conversation was heading, and it annoyed him. He grunted and looked down at the skinny man with a look that could burn a hole through stone. A sensitive subject, then, the weary man smiled, pulling at his mustache. But I remain curious, nonetheless. Perhaps I can risk an educated guess. If one were to believe in magic, I choose cautious skepticism. One could say that your effect or lack of effect on furniture is mystical in nature. One could go further and presume that you are cursed. Uncomfortably. At this, Wither chuckled to himself, smiled mechanically, and continued. Now, look at your attire. Only your footwear seems to stand out as previously foreign to your decorum. One could then leap to say, as I am, that your strange affliction is tied to your stunning shoes. Wither smiled vangloriously at Kafgarn, brimming in the knowledge that he knew he was right. Kafgarn would usually smash someone with an attitude like Wither's by now, but there was something about the man he liked. Maybe it was the pleasure the man had taken in the killing of bandits, or the blue striped suit he wore. Maybe Kafgarn was curious as well. The stranger was an enigma, cruelly smart, seemingly psychotic, Obviously narcissistic, but somehow he felt harmless at the same time. Gafgarn had never met anyone who could be all those things at once. He looked at Wither now with more interest than annoyance. This was rare for Gafgarn, extremely rare. Wither responded to the change in Gafgarn's features. It seems that now you've grown curious like me, no longer annoyed. To this, Gafgarn responded straight-faced as he leaned down into Wither's face. I am always annoyed. He then stood straight up again and asked, an eyebrow crocked, raised to the heavens. Why did you attack these fools? Wither brimmed. Yes, yes, indeed. Surely you didn't need my help. But you see, I've been seeking this smidgen fellow for quite some time. And... Disposing of his men has become somewhat of a pleasant pastime for me. The Bandit King, some call him that, you see, stole something very important to me, and I want it back. So, the inventor becomes the assassin, the hunter, and I grow close to my prey. And you, my nameless colossus, are going to help me. Gafgarn beheld a grin on Wither's face that simply begged to be smacked off the face of the earth. It was the type of grin that gained the ire of angels and demons alike and blinded most mortals. It was as evil as it was gorgeous, 
end as full of ego as it was charity. Gafgarn leaned in once more, practically hunched over, as he brought his darkened face threateningly close to Withers, and asked, Was that a command? I may be mistaken, but I swear I just heard you demand something of me. Wither barely moved at all, his smile remaining, shining and bright. Oh yes, a barbarian emperor typically doesn't take orders, but instead gives them. Isn't that right, old boy? Gafgarn stood bristled and clenched his fist, giving Wither a stern look of dismay. Before you commence smashing, old boy, hear me out, Wither suggested innocently lighting an elegant mahogany pipe so large that it almost seemed comical, bending back on itself like a swan's neck. I would wager, correctly if I might add, that you used to lead legions. These men would find that ridiculous, preposterous. But I know better, old boy. The seemingly simple wolf hair cape upon your shoulders is traditionally worn by high-ranking warriors from the tribes in the East which I know were united under one banner in the last 15 years. Quite astonishingly, really, as they were often more interested in scrapping with one another over poultry forests than banding together to hunt real game. You would agree, old boy, as you are the man who led the campaign to unite your people. I know because I've heard the chatter in the kingdoms near your borders. You know, they're quite afraid of you, don't you, old boy? Some fear you might want to reclaim the lands that were stolen from your people generations ago. What do you think? Gafgarn the Indomitable? Or was it impregnable? Or obstinate? Mm, pertinacious, Gafgarn growled. Wither laughed and slapped his knee in amusement. Ha ha ha, old boy! I knew a leader of his people could know more words than I like smash. Those royals assume you to be simple-minded, laughable, insolent brute. But I've always known better. I like you, old boy. Though I suppose you'd be unfurnished these days. <laughs> How can a boy be old? Gafgarn interrupted. Wither continued as if Gafgarn had said nothing. It is so unfortunate to find you wandering aimlessly, as I know you are, a lost emperor a leader of nothing. How can you be a leader if you can't even sit on your people's throne? Get on with it, sir. Please, I'm an academic, an engineer, an inventor, a performer in the pantomime of physics, a dealer in deathly devices. I, old boy, am a doctor. Not some dusty, cobwebbed, psychophantic tree climber. I, old boy, I'm a student of the world. Wither had gotten red-faced, eyes bulging through the smoke of his pipe and was standing on his toes with upraised fists. He slowly sat back down on his stool, eyes locked on Gafgarn's, holding his pipe lovingly and puffing all the while. Then he smiled brightly. Now, here is why I'm so certain of your assistance, old boy. I will guarantee you your throne, as well as the ability to recline upon it once more, should you assist me in my endeavor, which, old boy, you of course will. You are out of your league and mind, the latter debatable. But let me ask you this, old boy. Why do you keep saying that? 
Gafgarn interrupted, annoyed. Have you had a scientist take a look at your forced orthopedic Tennessee? My what? I've never met a scientist before. Then how do you know I can't help you? Gafgarn grunted his version of a chuckle and leaned in again, half smiling. Doc, he said sarcastically, do you know why I have these? Wither looked up at the ceiling innocently and said, not the faintest idea, old boy, but I can risk another hypothesis. They certainly didn't belong to you, and you didn't come to own them on good terms. There was a moment of tense silence. Gafgarn picked over the odd man as he thought about the proposition. Wither was right about everything, but he also seemed unhinged and untrustworthy. He looked to be useful. Gafgarn would give him that. He was quick and deadly and smart, but not so much that Gafgarn couldn't take him out should he back out on the deal. Most of all, Gafgarn knew he needed help. He was aimless, and worse, he yearned to return to his people. They understood strength in a way that even the doctor could not. He predicted the doctor also knew nothing about revealing the curse, but he had nothing to lose anyway. Okay, Doc. I'll help. Wither jumped up excitingly, yelling, Huzzah, old boy! Together, this should be quite an easy task. We can ride out immediately and take them out under the cover of night. But... I can't take on any army of bandits on my own. Give yourself more credit, old boy. Besides, he doesn't have an army. It's just a posse. Didn't you hear the squirming gentleman with the reverse kneecap? You said he was a bandit king. Oh, just a silly moniker these ruffians prefer. You know, sheep in the herd, old boy. Are you sure? Gafgarn felt annoyed again, which was usual. Indubitably, old boy, you haven't a thing to worry about. Wither slapped Gafgarn on the shoulder, or rather, he attempted to, and ended up jovially smacking his hulking arm instead. Then he continued, as he raced around his table, collecting his books into several satchels. Well, take my carriage out to the knoll. We should reach it quickly enough. And I'll give you all the details on the way. Come, old boy. Our dear smidgen awaits. We'll make him but a smudge on the earth. Ha-ha! Smidgen the smudge indeed. Gafgarn followed Wither out the back of the tavern. He spotted the bartender huddling in a corner behind the bar, who tremorously thanked Gafgarn for his business. A horse and an odd-looking carriage sat in the back, tethered to a pole, the horse gingerly drinking from a trough. Wither rushed to jam his satchels into the carriage, which was piled high with large bags and boxes, inside and on the roof. After shutting and latching the door, he raised himself onto the front seat and grabbed the reins as he puffed his heavy pipe. Would you untie Percy for me, old boy? Then take a seat here and we're off. Gafgarn untied the horse from the pole, petting it on the face as he did so. Percy, he said to the horse, in a gruff but somehow soft half-chuckle. Then he tromped over to the carriage's driver bench and lifted himself up. The carriage tilted awkwardly to one side and then leaned forward as Gafgarn climbed over the bench to sit on the roof. Wither scooted outward to prevent himself from sliding off. 
He snapped the reins, and Percy, struggling at first, pulled the carriage through the small driveway back onto the main highway. Wither smiled mechanically into the night, the light from his pipe beaming on his excited face while puffs of smoke rose into the cool air. Gafgarn laid on his back into a pile of boxes and bags in an attempt to relax. He stared into the night sky, taking in the bright stars, secretly excited to squish someone with such a stupid name. Afghan awoke to the carriage underneath him, rocking to a halt. Above, the stars twinkled beyond the thick boughs of trees arching over the dusty road. They must have been on the road for a significant amount of time, because even though the roof of the carriage was hardly a bed fit for an emperor, Gafgarn felt rested. He sat up on the front edge of the vehicle, causing it to tilt precariously forward and stretched. Withers still sat on the driving bench, pipe glowing in the night, reins in his hands. Good morning, old boy, he said without looking, his gaze fixed on a spot in the forest. I'm glad you're awake. We're near the place I've deduced Smidgen's camp will be. Gafgarn looked in the direction of Withers' gaze and could see in the shadows of the underbrush an opening into another pathway. It looked like a squeeze for the overburdened transport. Wither lightly snapped the reins and Percy led them in, quietly creaking into the brush. Gafgarn was relieved as the dust from the road still clung to his nostrils and the soil on the brush seemed content to remain underfoot. So, what do you know about their camp, Doc? Wither's grand mustache bristled. It's on a knoll, quite simply fortified most likely with timber collected from the surrounding forest, typically occupied by approximately a hundred scoundrels. You want to infiltrate a camp with a hundred armed men to kill their leader? You said they were camped on a knoll. Hmm. Even at night, how do you expect the two of us to get in and out unnoticed? Typically a hundred. I'm certain you recall I've been hunting them. Those numbers have noticeably thinned, old boy. Fine, but even if there's less, they'll see us coming if they're smart. Which they aren't, mind you. So how are we going to sneak in? Oh, we aren't, old boy. Good. For a moment, I thought you might be crazy and stupid. No, I know we can't sneak in. Disguises wouldn't work either. You're much too big, and I wouldn't wear their desolate trappings as long as breath dwells in my lungs. No, old boy, we, rather you, are going to walk right in and gain an audience with the fair smidgen. You're a fool. Wither chuckled. Ah, ah, ah. Fools are just men with more imagination. You have a wonderful gift for violence, but our quarry requires tact and ingenuity. I wish to take advantage of your unique physical hindrance, old boy. Slipping off a chair will hardly help me kill a hundred men. Ah, yes though it certainly aided you investing a few. A curse it may be, but you can use it to your advantage. I'm more interested in the effort it would take to keep you in that chair, old boy. At this, 
Gafgarn ceased fidgeting with the pommel of his mallet and delivered to Wither a stern, quizzical look. One eyebrow sky high and questioning eyes lit with a kind of light only a match of impatience may kindle. Think, Wither responded, his unflinching grin still resting beneath his champion mustache. Smidgen is a proud, powerful man. He loves proving his strength. And that is why he has gained so many followers. Give him a challenge he cannot hope to win, old boy. I will take care of the rest. With a snap of the reins, diligent person led the cab into a slight depression in the underbrush next to the path. After it was parked, Wither moved quickly to the carriage door and opened it. Then, without hesitation, he stuck as much of his body in as he could, slithering in between his many stacked belongings. Wither, what are you going to do? Gafgarn asked in a grumble as he watched the thin man's legs flip in the air. Ah! Wither exclaimed, pulling his body out of the carriage along with several bags and boxes that fell to the ground, their hidden contents tinkling. In his hands, he held an extremely large crossbow, decorated with a row of lenses along its top. Wither seemed to be unaffected by its tremendous size and weight. How are you carrying that? How did that even fit in there? Now, old boy, I'm off, Wither said excitedly as he hoisted a heavy-looking quiver of bolts and what looked like a carpet of leaves over his shoulder and bounced away toward the brush. He yelled back, Don't forget to ask about the girl, old boy! Gafgarn watched the wiry man bounce into the darkness. Left to himself, he noticed one of the bags that had fallen out of the carriage spilled oats into the bushes and dirt. Discovering it was a feed bag, he picked it up and gingerly strapped it onto Percy. Mare welcomed it calmly and immediately began smashing its contents into content. Gafgarn scratched Percy behind the ears and saw Wither had left his pipe on the carriage bench, some embers within gleaming their last. He thought momentarily of trying its contents, but decided against it. If Wither's behavior could indicate much, whatever was in that pipe might not be in Gafgarn's best interest. The faintest hint of light began to change the sky from a pitch-black, star-pocketed void to a dark blue, with hints of red and orange spilling out from the east. A new day arrived, and Gafgarn grinned at the fact that it would be the last sunrise Smidgen would see. Anticipation thrumming in every sinew and muscle. Wolf-head cloak pulled over his bald head. Gafgarn trudged eagerly down the rest of the worn path. Gafgarn made his way to the edge of the woods, enjoying the smell of the dustless underbrush as he went. The forest reminded him of home, a lonesome comfort. Then the trees and the bushes thinned and Gafgarn saw before him the great knoll Wither described. It was tall and sloping, its tip far above the tree line, and ringed with large, flat-topped stones sticking up and outward like crooked teeth. Between these earthen molars were erected wooden walls of logs and slats, circling the knoll as a grim, pointed barrier. At the highest points, towers occupied by ragged-looking, haggard men armed with bows overlooked the surrounding area. The knoll rose and flattened beyond the wall, and it was littered with tents and hovels. This was the great camp of Smidgen? Gafgarn thought the encampment could be taken by fewer than a score of his own. 
though at least a hundred men had to be inside. More than he could take on his own. But still, he continued. Afgarn walked towards the tall gate, snorting at the camp as he went. He noted a section of wall that dipped lower than the rest, that it faced the direction Wither had bounced off to. Two towers guarded the gate on either side. A man above him pulled a shafted arrow back and pointed it at him. A woman in the opposite tower doing the same. They both wore familiar red bandanas around their faces. Stop there! The man demanded. Put up your things and go back the way you came and we won't stick you! His speech was quick, each word crowding the next. It seemed his tongue threatened to fly out of his mouth, spinning and twirling whenever he spoke. I'm here to see Smidgen, Gafgar declared. What for? The man responded. Cause I heard he's bigger than me. My business is with him. Both nasty-looking arrows pointed their jagged points on him like the fangs of a snake. The guard responded once more. He is! Now you know! Beat it! Gafgarn's nostrils flared, the air billowing beneath him. He reached back and gingerly hefted his gigantic hammer. I'm here to take charge, boys! How'd you like to be part of an empire? My empire, I have one, to the east in the wilds. You aren't so dense you haven't heard of it. The woman on Gafgarn's right relaxed her bow slightly. Wait, Doran, you don't think he's the one, right? The first answered without flinching. What would he be doing here, Sully? He'd have an empire to run, right? Right. Yeah, what would you be doing here if you were he? Recruiting, Gafgarn said. I heard about your little outfit. Sounds like Smidgen is an amateur. I'm here to see if you're ready to be part of something real. The one named Sully nearly dropped her bow. You're out of your mind, you know that? Come on, you'd fight for a cause. I fight for myself, and that's cause enough. Doran snapped. Now drop your things and turn round. I may be asking you again, crazy bastard. Gafgarn stepped forward, his keen eyes focused on Doran, who promptly let his shaft fly. At least he's the man of his word, Gafgarn thought. The arrow bounced off the mallet's head with a sharp ping. Sully quickly loosed her own arrow, which shattered with a swift kick from a gleaming boot. Both guards stood dumbfounded as the giant continued, undeterred. Their eyes followed his boots, mouths salivating. Minds wondering the price they may fetch. When he reached the gate, he lifted his great bare paw of a fist and knocked. The contemptible wooden doors trembled, and the sound of people rousing, rising from the other side. A voice erupted from somewhere beyond, raspy and incredulous. Did someone just knock on my door? No one answered the voice. Gafgar knocked once more. Holy crap! Is that for real? The voice was closer now. You two, on the wall! Who's the idiot on the other side of the door and why aren't they dead? Giant! Said he's here to see you, sir! Wants to take over, he does! And he's still friggin' breathing! The voice was much closer now. Gafgarn thought it sounded like the man was constantly choking. 
His voice was grating, like rusty blades rubbing together. Another reason to silence it. Blocked our arrows in flight, sir, like they was nothing, Doran answered. The sound of a large wooden beam being lifted away from its saddle against the doors was followed by their slowly swinging out. Several unkept men were pushing them open, blades in their free hands. A well-worn path led up the knoll to a haggard group of men and women with bows drawn. All wore red bandanas tied around their heads or arms, most with frayed edges and dirty stains, except for one who sat on a bench with distant interest. He was a young man, pale with red eyes, something Gafgarn had only heard but never seen. Instead of a bandana, he wore a jester hat on his head, red, black, and silver stripes extending out along patched and re-sewn tendrils of cloth to shining bells that glinted in the rising sun. In front of them stood a shirtless man covered in poorly healed scars from all manner of injury. A particularly nasty one acred across his long neck. Any part of his pale skin that was not decorated in this way was by crude tattoos. Naked posing women, two with particularly round bosoms on a shin each. Skulls and piles, various instruments of war, and several gruesome-looking monsters eating people alive. An eye patch covered one eye, and the other, pale blue and icy, regarded Gafgarn with a combination of amusement and annoyance. Gafgarn noted that Smidgen was, surprisingly, slightly taller than him, but longer-limbed and lanky. Well, you are a big one, aren't you? Smidgen rasped through a crooked grin. Must not be too smart, though, waking me and my boys like this. On our day off, no less. Sir, could you block all of them? He motioned at the bowmen behind him. Maybe not, but I didn't come here to fight off your troops. I'll be leading them now, unless you can stop me yourself. Excuse me? Your camp? It's mine now. You want it back? You'll have to win it back. Smidgen let out an irritating cackle. <laughs> wow, you really are a special brew of dumb, aren't you? Do you know why these men follow me? Because no one's ever beaten me one-on-one. -on -one. I might as well just let them finish you. That's what I have them around for. It'll save me the time. Gafgarn stepped forward. All right, I'll challenge you and your entire gang. You might not even have to lift a finger. Mm. I've come all this way to take you on. You really going to disappoint me? Smidgen grunted. No, I'm always down for a row, punk. But you can't beat me in my entire camp in a fight. I don't care how big or fast you are. The last idiot I went toe-to-toe -to -toe with got close, gave me this, pointed at the scar on his neck, tilting his head back so it stood out even more. And I beat the life out of him while I bled. Just missed the spot. I was too quick for him. You really expect to do any better? Much. Who do you think you are, man? Gafgarn walked up the worn road into the center of the camp where tables, benches, tents, and crates of plunder were scattered about in disarray. 
all made way for him as he went, scowls and confused gazes following his every giant step. The pale face and red eyes followed him as well, a crooked grin creeping onto his face, bells jingling with the turn of his head. Smidgen followed just behind, forehead creased with wanting patience. Then the wolf-cloaked behemoth of the east stopped and pointed his great maul at a large ornate chair carved out of a solid oak log into a sprawling winged dragon. I am Gafgarn, emperor and unifier of the eastern tribes, and I'm here to prove you're nothing in comparison. I'm not interested in making you bleed, though. Make me sit in that, and you win. If you can't, then I win, and your gang belongs to me. Smidgen kneeled over, bellowing in a mad rasp, and his vagabonds followed suit. The jester hat simply sat and watched. During the laughing, no one noticed a man in a tower suddenly fall out of it and over the wall. A slender crossbow bolt lodged in his brain. You're kidding me, right? I'd rather just fight you. That sounds like more fun. Afraid you can't do it then. Smidgen bristled. Nah. Nah, man. Of course I can. It's just... That chair is mine. Stole it from a hold up north. Pretty awesome catch. I never let anyone else sit in it. It's like my throne. You know what a throne is, right, big man? Shouldn't you be sitting on your own? Gafgarn regarded Smidgen with a look of indifference. Then he walked over to the chair and stood in front of it, placing his maul head first on the ground. He crossed his arms impatiently and declared, You get me in that chair, and my weapon is yours. Take it east. My people will know it. You'll own more than a hill after that. The bandit king shook his head. You really think I can't get you in that chair? When Gafgarn didn't move or respond, Smidgen shrugged. All right, big man. Ready that arse of yours for one hell of a sit-down. The crowd around them, now almost 50 strong. Gafgarn thought, began to shuffle and chatter with anticipation. Smidgen placed himself directly in front of Gafgarn, looked down into his eyes and winked. Gafgarn simply uncrossed his arms and huffed, preparing for the first move. Smidgen smacked into Gafgarn with the force of his entire body, hands on the eastern man's shoulders. Gafgarn braced his body, bringing his weight low and pushing back. The crowd buzzed and hollered, the glamour of excitement drawing attention away from the limp body of a woman falling off another tower. Bolt through her heart. The two giants dug their feet into the earth as they pushed against one another, their exertions already causing sweat to gleam in the early morning sun. Smidgen adjusted his position and grip, trying to find a way to budge his opponent. But Gafgarn countered every move, keeping his weight low. After several grueling minutes, shining silver boots had only been moved towards the throne a few inches, soil piling behind the heel, yet no spot of dirt blemishing the footwear at all. The crowd continued to roar and cheer, pulling in closer with each passing moment. One man on the tower moved to descend his ladder, but stopped when something briefly caught the sunlight in the corner of his eye. He looked at a neighboring tower, 
its occupant seemingly leaning against one of its posts limply. He watched as the body tipped forward and slumped on the platform, a bloody bolt still lodged in the post. When he opened his mouth to raise an alarm, a force shot him off the ladder. He landed hard among the jutting stones, the projectile lodged in his throat, and the life quickly and quietly draining from him. With a gurgle, he was spent, unseen behind the stones, the unknowing and ruckus mob but several strides away. Smidgen and Gafgarn were locked together, an immovable mass with four legs twisted and jumbled. Every few moments, Smidgen would roar and shove, gaining mere inches at a time. But he was edging Gafgarn closer to the throne. A silver-white heel almost touched the great seat now, and Gafgarn furrowed a sweaty brow over hard, focused eyes. Smidgen gritted his teeth, cursed, huffed, and grunted, putting every ounce of his strength into push after push. Gafgarn never made a sound. You're getting pretty close, Wolfman, Smidgen grunted, adjusting his grip around Gafgarn's barrel chest. How long do you think you can really keep this up? Longer than you, Gafgarn teased. Smidgen practically growled in response. Great thing about me is I still have a crew. And why have them if you never use them? Delegation, man. That's what it's all about. Then he yelled over the din around him. Let's give this maroon a throne. Hands on. With that, the group of five bandits closest to Smidgen dove into the wrestling match, pushing Gafgarn from his sides and bracing Smidgen's back. The six men against one. Gafgarn's wall noticeably slacked, and he found himself struggling to keep his weight forward. He felt his boot hit the throne and braced against it with the other, arms and shoulders straining with the effort. Gafgarn stood his ground once more. In the corner of his eye, he caught a body falling from a tower. He hoped no one else saw. More! Smidgen yelled, and several more bandits rushed in to pull and push at Gafgarn from all angles. Hold him! Rope! Smidgen ordered, and then released himself from the struggle. He moved around the throne, so he stood behind it and Gafgarn, and a woman from the crowd trotted over with rope looped around her shoulder. He quickly took the rope, and wound it around Gafgarn's torso, braced a foot against the back of the throne, and began pulling. You should have set down some rules, punk. I'm impressed with your strength, but you ain't clever. With this, and more than 10 others now pushing and pulling at Gafgarn, he could feel his muscles burning with his effort, tiring. His body fell further back each instant, enough so that he moved his hands to brace himself pushing down on the throne's armrests, his knees beginning to bend into a sitting position. Still, he fought against the tide. Let's finish him, lads! Everyone on this fool! The entire mob joyfully entered the fray, piling onto one another in Gafgarn, pulling at the rope with Smidgen, finding every angle at which to push and pull. Gafgarn was almost sitting now, his body floating above the chair awkwardly nearing the wood with excruciating slowness. The whole of the camp atop Gafgarn. His body began giving in, pain enveloping every muscle and sinew as still he fought. Then he felt it, 
a strange tingle in his boots, like the ground was subtly vibrating. Below him, between his buttocks and the chair, he could feel a force, an inexplicable lifting away from the earth. It was pleasant, like a cushion rising upward against him, but the result was extraordinary, halting his descent immediately. From where Smidgen stood, he could see Gafgarn had yet to sit, though he was so close that only the blade of a sword might fit between the giant and the sea. Seriously? What are you pushing yourself up with? Your own thoughts? He grunted under his breath. Then, over his exertions, he yelled at his cohort. How useful are you if you can't get one man to sit down? Put your backs into it! Heave! The crowd piled and pushed as one. And finally, Gafkarn could take no more and felt his arms and legs give out. His boots vibrated even more now and the force pushed him away from the chair like a moving wall. Even with that, he felt himself falling and knew that he would be in the seat in a moment. So he took a deep breath and settled in when he finally touched. Ha! Smidgen grinned with delight, still straining against the rope behind Gafgarn. You lose, you fat-nosed lout! I knew you were nothing but... Thrown and Gafgarn suddenly shot out in opposite directions. Gafgarn barreled through the crowd like a stone from a catapult. And he just barely grabbed the haft of his hammer as he flew. He spun through the air, launching bodies in all directions as he went. A great throne shaped from a solid log, easily heavier than several horses, plummeted into Smidgen and his surrounding group. Bones cracked, heads smashed, and bodies toppled as it flew, with Smidgen catching it in the gut. Ah, the air in his lungs lost and flying back with it. He and the seat crashed through the tents and crates, finally careening into the perimeter wall, dust and debris everywhere. Gafgarn picked himself up from a pile of unconscious bandits. Looking around, the top of the knoll was a mess, with bodies and various objects scattered about. As he hefted his hammer and made his way to where the throne once sat, Gafgarn noticed among the groaning, injured, lucky unconscious, and silent dead. Numerous crossbow bolts meant to kill or maim. Wither was busy during the pileup, it seemed. None who stood challenged Gafgarn, instead watching him in disbelief or tending to the wounded. Sully and Doran, the guards from the front towers, followed him from a safe distance, their awe of the experience worn plainly on their faces. When he reached the topmost point of the knoll where the log-hue throne once sat, he found an empty space with a trail of destruction, striking out in two separate directions. Gafgarn's flight path and that of the dragon-shaped seat. He followed the chair's trail and found at its end destroyed tents, scattered henchmen, and smidgen scarred and tattooed remains pinned against the outer wall by a solid piece of wood. One of the dragon's wings held the bandit king aloft, the rest of its mass thrown about splintered and fragmented. Several other bandits met similar fates, odd bits of the seat permeating their corpses. There was no sign of the albino or the jester hat. A quiet thwuck alerted Gafgarn to something behind him, and after he reeled around, he saw a bandit with a bolt in her head falling back. He followed the bolt's trajectory to the canopy of the forest over the lower section of the camp's wall and saw nothing at first. 
Then something moved in the lush greenery. What looked like a giant crossbow momentarily raised among the boughs of a tree. Wither was saying hello. Gafgar nodded towards him, then regarded the very dead smidgen with distaste. Then he remembered something. Mm, I forgot to ask about the girl. The morning grew sour in Aleda's mouth. Something was wrong. She knew. She could feel it in the very ground around her. Dawn's light only just embraced the sky above. Clear and bright hues of orange and red. She overslept. With a stretch, she fought aches from sleeping on the forest floor. She used only a cloak as a pillow, leaving her belongings packed on her shaggy mare. The chestnut horse regarded her with sleepy eyes, weary from their travels. Leda's quarry had not been easy to trek, and had flown further than she anticipated. She rolled her cloak and packed it, giving her steed a gingerly pat before tending to herself. Laying in her armor was uncomfortable, but she learned to rest wearing it if the need arose. Her prey couldn't get away because she was too busy getting dressed, especially not this one. She dusted off her teal, high-collared, long-sleeved jacket of studded leather intricately laced with mail, and adjusted her black leather gloves. She peeled leaves off of her sand brown leggings, armored at the knees, and taped on the plate tipped toes of her boots. Her guild dress was made for combat, but light enough not to slow the wearer or hinder movement. From her neck hung a jagged arrowhead of polished stone on a braided leather necklace, resting on a red shirt just above the part in her jacket. She tied her short red hair behind her head and picked up her heater shield of steel-reinforced oak, where it had lain next to her strapped to her back. Her sword, a common, long, straight blade, still rested in its scabbard on her belt. Finally, she adjusted the black leather eye patch over her left eye, the symbol of the arrowhead etched into it, while an uncovered globe of green on the other side of her little freckled nose peered out into the morning hungrily. Moments from stirring from sleep, she was ready to get to work. First was to check on her mark. She climbed the boughs of a nearby tree, as she had done the night before, to gaze at the fortified knoll in the nearby clearing. From her belt, she took and extended a spyglass, black with gold trim. There the knoll stood, stony and buttressed by the walls of wooden logs, a camp nestled along its top. A hubbub was afoot, the entire camp stirring, torches still burning in watchtowers, their archers looking inward rather than to the surrounding landscape. Not smart. But maybe something she could use to her advantage. What everyone was watching was obvious. A gigantic man with a wolf cloak sauntered up the knoll, through the horde of scoundrels, right up to the throne at the knoll's peak, and laid his maul down head first. A challenge issued, it looked like. An even taller, pale, shirtless man was talking to the first. Smidgen, no doubt running his mouth. Every bounty hunter knew the bandit king, of course. And almost as many carried a tag for him, dead or alive. Aleda did, 
But he wasn't wise she'd ridden for weeks, sleeping in the wilds most nights. Her real mark was worth much more. Now, where was he? Suddenly, movement just at the edge of her spyglass. She caught a pair of legs and feet topple over the side of a watchtower. No one else seemed to notice. The crowd now intently watching the two giants wrestle near the dragon throne. Was Smitchen trying to push the wolven giant into it? She watched the other towers, and surely enough, another guard slumped over. This time, she could just barely make out a crossbow bolt in the support beam the guard had just been leaning against. Ah. Now she understood. The wolf must have tricked Smidgen, using his fragile ego against him. And a force outside was giving support while the camp was distracted. They must be in the trees, she thought. Somewhere by the lower end of the wall. She could feel the tension rise, her blood practically boiling with it. These punks are going to ruin everything. The two wrestling idiots were surrounded by the entire camp now. Bodies piling on top of each other, trying to... Are they trying to make the wolf sit in the throne? Completely absurd. None of it made sense, causing frustration to furrow her brow. Then she flashed a dimpled grin as she caught sight of what she was looking for. A jester hat. Four bells hanging from tentacle-like protrusions bounced around the crowd. Its wearer obviously spied a carcass on a rock in the enclosure, and even narrowly avoided a shot from the hidden sniper in the trees. Then it was lost in the crowd, but nothing else changed. No clamor to find the killer. No alarm raised. The last she saw of it, it seemed to bound with energy of intention. Later realized she had to move now before she lost him again. She stowed her spyglass and began to climb down when her wary eye caught catastrophe on the knoll. The wolf and the throne shot out in opposite directions. The giant spun through the air, he and his mallet launching the mob in all directions like a tornado. The throne slammed into smidgen and the crowd, plummeting with the bandit king through his tent and into the log wall. The collision echoed in the clearing, dwarfing the clamor of pain and destruction. The wolf landed among unfortunate bandits, slammed under his weight. She wondered. What caused them to go airborne, as if slung from catapults? Hastily, she leapt from the tree, landing in the saddle on her shaggy mare. Her steed's hooves thundered on the forest floor, dashing towards the camp. Before she broke a sweat, they arrived at the destroyed camp. Some of the injured and afraid already fleeing into the surrounding forest. Aleda found the front gates wide open. Apparently those within considered the wolf too fascinating to secure the encampment. Amateurs. The shaggy horse trotted them in and up the knoll, winding through debris, the unconscious, and the dead. Aleda analyzed the scene with a keen eye, missing no detail. Most tents had collapsed. Their contents, food, supplies, weapons, bedrolls, furs, elegant clothing, Golden and jeweled plunder lay crushed and spread about moaning bodies. Sacks, boxes, trunks, baskets, all manner of cargo and container lay in disarray. Their pilfered contents shimmering in the morning sun, spilled and scattered. The place was an absolute mess. 
she continued up the knoll, coming upon the location of the odd brawl between Smidgen and the wolf. Some bandits began to rise from the ground with groans and curses, fleeing the camp into the woods, dragging any loot they could carry. Even the injured helped themselves to an item or two. Those moving avoided her like she was a sickness, averting their eyes as if the simple sight of her could strike them down. She worried not about them as she wove through the camp. No king, no kingdom, she thought. Just cowardly rats now. Two, a man and a woman, stood at the top of the knoll, the man holding his arm as if broken. Their bandanas were nowhere to be seen. As Aleda came closer, she could see their awed gazes focused on the wolf, who was currently regarding the punctured and crushed carcass pinned to the toppling outer wall by a portion of a once ornate throne. I forgot to ask about the girl, he sighed to himself. What girl, wolf? Aleda said coolly, as if acquaintances. Gafgarn shifted to look at her, his hood pulled back to reveal a scarred and disinterested face. He hefted his maul in one hand like it was a tiny carpenter's hammer, rather than an immense instrument of war. Where is your friend? She asked as she dismounted. She looked out at the trees, then once more at the two gawking bandits, still standing where they were, wearing flabbergasted expressions. Her stony eye and relaxed smirk, on the other hand, expressed a level of concern often reserved by most for ants or motes of dust. She stopped a few paces from Gafgarn, releasing a visible sigh as she observed Smidgen. Well, finally something he won't get back up from. That death was a long time coming. Would have preferred the blow was from me, but can't really complain if an evil bastard like that's put down. She removed an iron token from a pocket within her jacket and flung it at the bloody, mangled corpse. Gafgon saw it for but a moment, flat and oblong, with smidgen and ten S etched into it. Not really who I was looking for, but I could have used the bounty all the same. What's your name, Wolf? Where's your friend? After his silence, she continued, undeterred. You have a real name? <laughs> Don't tell me it really is Wolf. We had enough of dumb names for that carcass over there. Gafgarn responded with a cross of his arms and a raised eyebrow. Elena shrugged at him. Suit yourself. Wolf is a name, I guess. You happen to see where a guy wearing a jester hat went? Gafgarn recalled the man she mentioned, sitting and watching him as he entered the camp. No, he said, shaking his head. <laughs> right. Too busy doing whatever you did to him. She motioned to the dead king. Care to explain? Again, Gafgarn regarded her with all the difference of a wall. She was pretty and smelled of earth and travel, and he liked that, but would prefer to keep his predicament to himself as much as he could. Wither discovered him, but maybe this, whatever she was, wouldn't. Fine. I'll figure it out myself. She walked nonchalantly to the body, her eyes investigating every detail with a voracious intent. Gafgarn found himself investigating her details, her fancy dress to his tastes, but as ready for battle as any of his people's armor. He had never seen hair so fiery red and eye so green. Smaller than his people's women, she was no less built for combat. 
as solid as a stone. She was not what he expected to find in the kingdoms. Everyone in his country could fight in the name of their people. But the kingdoms rarely fielded women in wars past. Sully and Doran sat now, still bearing the look of the dumbfounded. Aleda poured over the scene before her. Her eye missed nothing. From the way blood splattered on shattered logs and the splintered throne, to the way it so solidly and brutally stuck in and through flesh and bone. She looked at the top of the knoll, then back to Smidgen. She observed the surrounding destruction, tents crushed in the path of the throne's flight, bodies and objects scattered about. She walked up the path the throne had taken. Her eye cut a seam in the ground. Many things were toppled or destroyed, but there were no drag marks. She came to a divot in the earth and knelt over it, feeling it, measuring it in her mind. She looked back to Smidgen, then to the top of the knoll again. She stood and continued up the path, stepping lightly, eye a sharp blade. When she came to the spot where the great seat had rested, she knelt. Signs of a scuffle were everywhere, footprints over footprints, crushed grass, the smell of blood and sweat, but where the throne had stood remained a long rectangle of stunted grass and marks of a brief but violent slide back towards Smidgen's corpse. A quick glance back, Gafgarn watching her attentively. Then, a glance in the direction the wolf had flown. Aleda rose, wiping the dirt from her hands, wearing a self-satisfied smile. All eyes watched as she returned to stand before Gafgarn. Her walk, a saunter that seemed to declare the very ground underneath her, her own. Okay, Wolf, are you ready for this? She continued without giving him a chance to respond. You came into this camp, your friend watching you from a tree somewhere over in that direction. She pointed over the low end of the encampment's wall. And you goaded Smidgen into some stupid wrestling match. You bet him he couldn't make you sit in the chair. Somehow... It took not only him, but the entire camp to get you into it while your friend killed anyone he could with a crossbow. An insanely powerful one for this kind of range and accuracy. I don't know why he bothered though, because you did something that practically leveled this place. She motioned towards the top of the knoll as she continued. You and the throne shot out in opposite directions, the throne at an extreme velocity. I've heard rumors of explosives, powerful and compact, from across the Altaian Sea. But I see no burn marks, no crater. Besides, you're not that well-traveled. Gafgarn raised a single brow, even higher from its already elevated perch. And later went on. No contraption. And you're strong. Maybe could have flipped the thing, but not while the whole camp was on your back. It was carved from a single solid log. Maybe a whole tree. You're a big guy, but not that big. No drag marks, though. So it wasn't pushed back. Didn't even touch the ground except for that one spot. She pointed at the divot in the ground. Then added, That's where Smidgen must have fallen out in front of it while it spun to pin him lengthwise. Dragon tail first. Otherwise, he'd just be pulp. Well, worse pulp. 
She wrinkled her nose at the body, then gave Gafgarn a commanding look with hands on her hips. So, Wolf, how'd you do it? Tell me magic, and I'll slap you so hard across the face with my shield, you'll have to run back across the camp to pick up your teeth. Gafgarn shrugged away the image of the throne spinning in the air in front of a helpless airborne smidgen and answered flatly, Magic. Aleda glared at Gafgarn and opened her mouth to reply when a peculiar slight trudged up the knoll and knelt over a quivering body. It looked like a moving bush, the size and shape of a tall, lanky person carrying an immensely large crossbow with an array of lenses along its stalk. The bush nodded its shrubbery head and gesticulated its leafy hands as if in conversation, then abruptly began beating the prostrated bandit with the butt of the crossbow. Aleda had only seen one thing more ridiculous, a man in a throne jettisoning into the air in opposite directions. The humanoid foliage continued up the knoll, swiveling its head as if looking for another victim. He found one shortly, a man trying to crawl away, and repeated the process. Bush knelt, moved as if in conversation, then beat the poor sucker quickly and viciously. If she wasn't staring at a bush, she would conclude these beatings were born of a passionate hatred. After all, why beat them when a swift bolt would do? Why kill them at all when they're already injured and helpless? A bringer of justice. She had a list of lives taken in the name of peace and coin, but the bush had to be after something personal. First, it's magic throne launching. Now it turns out your sniper friend is a bush. He's not my friend. I don't really know what he is. The shrub sauntered up to the pair, crossbow resting on a shoulder, and faced Smidgen's murder scene. Fine work! Fine work indeed! It chimed happily. You certainly are a singular destructive force, old boy! Bravo! I knew without any uncertainty you would rise triumphant! Now, it continued as it turned to face Gafgarn. What did all precious Smidgen say about the girl? Elena barely moved waiting with her arms still crossed, while Sully and Doran looked on in an ever-heightened sense of amazement. Nothing. I forgot to ask, Gafgarn said. The bush went rigid. Excuse me, shrub. Who are you exactly? The bush pulled back a hood and mask, revealing Withers' mustachioed face, currently wearing a very red, very severe look. This close, Elena could see the stitching and cloth that the twiggy leafishness was fabricated. The man before her was wearing a very clever camouflage suit. Dear, as much as a beauty such as yours is deserving of the best of introductions, I have a pressing matter. He turned on Gafgarn. I told you not to forget, old boy. Where is the girl? I have no idea. Even if I had asked, I don't know what she looks like. There were plenty of women here. I'm uninterested in this bandit's particular co-ed status. She wouldn't have looked like them. She's a prisoner, young, likely in distress. You didn't see her? Not through a stinking heap of bandits, no. Wither practically tore out of the bush costume, revealing his suit of blue and pinstripes. Somewhat sweaty, but none the worse for wear. His eyes searched hungrily, while his head jerked in all directions. The jester, then. Did you see him? 
If somehow a girl in distress evaded your view, the albino with that blasted hat surely could not. Gafgarn was surprised by the mention of the albino jester. Wither had never mentioned him before. He answered, his curiosity peaking. I saw him when I was coming in. I'd never seen an albino before, but he was interested in me, not like the rest. More like he knew something. AJ is crafty. He must have known you had something up your sleeve. Whatever that something was. Her eyes narrowed at the two men. She didn't like that she could only conclude something impossible had happened on that knoll. Wither recoiled with disgust. You gave him a name? Scoundrel hardly deserves one. More like a designation. No one knows his real name. Now I'm pretty sure he took off with your girl. Wither became rigid once more, even his chest ceasing its constant movement. Gafgarn found it odd to see the man stop moving or talking. Whoever this girl was, she had to be extremely important to him. Wither's pale color returned, and shoulders relaxed when he started breathing again. My dear, my name is Withersmod Goldstein III, commonly known as Wither. And it is a great pleasure to be in the presence of such a striking beauty. At this he gave a flourishing bow. When he returned to standing, he wiggled his whiskers, and in the most polite and sincere voice Gafgarn had ever heard, asked, To what hunter do I have the pleasure of speaking, dear? And to where did you see our mischievous Joko retreat? Gafgarn could hardly believe his ears. But Elena didn't move. Her arms remained crossed. A smile graced in the men's presence, seeming to brighten the knoll with its own light. She bowed her head slightly, politely. Elida, he went north, maybe vaulted over the toppled wall behind what's left a smidgen. Someone much smaller, likely a young girl, was with him. We might be able to catch them. I could track them, but... What? How do you know where he went? Bloody handprints. Some blood smears, most likely from feet and shoes, on a log by smidgen. Probably climbed right over his carcass. I imagine the girl is shoeless. When smidgen's crew trade in bodies, feet aren't the parts they care about. Gafgarn stepped between them, his intimidating size demanding attention, his arm cutting between them like a hammer. Stop! Now! Right now! It's time to tell me what's going on. He stuck a muscular, sausage-sized finger into Wither's face. You tell me what you're after. Then he did the same to Aleda. You tell me who and what you are and why I should care. They both looked at him with serious faces, and he responded with a jutting point to his boots. I get pushed around enough by these. I won't spend another moment with the two of you until I have some answers. Wither responded, his usual rapid speech slowed by the heavy weight of an audible deep hatred, one that bubbled up into each word like a sickly toxin. The girl is my sister, old boy. Kidnapped by the jester a mere fortnight ago and brought to this decrepit den of degenerates and denigrates. I will rescue her. Never mind the souls in my way. Elena explained. 
Dr. Goldstein's sister is one of many young men and women who are kidnapped regularly for sale in some of the less kind kingdom slave trades. Smidgen's band was more known for stealing and killing, sometimes secretly paid by barons and dukes to thief from or otherwise sabotage one another. Gafgarn was unsurprised to find that the kingdoms would secretly use criminals in their petty power struggles. But he took note of it and continued listening. AJ, as the guilds calls him, is a high-value bounty. Serial killer, thief, arsonist, extortionist, assassin, torturer. All kinds of dark and disruptive deeds. He never uses the same name, if he uses any at all, and moves between kingdoms often enough the local authorities never find him. He finds a place, makes trouble, then disappears, leaving destruction and despair and taking almost nothing he didn't arrive with. He's the reason I'm here today. And you two let him go. She belongs to the guild, old boy, and should have used the opportunity we gave her to catch him. Gafgarn's eyes bolted between the two while Wither regained his red tone and choked on unspoken words. Back home, a quarrel like this was settled with skill, cunning, or strength. A game of Baldemong, the challenge of a hunt, or a regular old brawl. As of recently, his mere presence would silence and bury the argument like death itself. If not from fear, then from respect. Instead, he stood in a broken camp on a knoll in a forsaken country, thrown from his own, stuck in boots, as cursed as a backhand to a swarm of scorpions. Infuriating. Gafgarn turned on Wither. We find your girl. You help me out of these boots? Yes, old boy. Twas the deal. Now, she's... Gafgarn interrupted, swiveling to Elida. You hunt the man that has his sister. That's what I just bloody explained now, didn't I? You get your bounty, you get your sister, and I get rid of these. He pointed to each of his companions and the boots, respectively. Now, I have something to take care of before we leave. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not doing anything until you tell me how the two of you pulled this off. She motioned all around her. And the hunters usually work alone. Has that worked out getting AJ so far? Gafgarn said, flashing a smug, scarred grin. And I already told you. Magic. I can't use furniture. Then he walked away as if nothing he said was abnormal. Aleda looked as if tentacles had sprung from the back of his head and both were gesticulating obscenely at her. Wither puffed at a long, thin pipe, contented. Gafgarn swore to himself that the man had always had a curved, ornate pipe, and that it was still sitting on the seat of the carriage in the forest. Did he have a trove hidden in his suit jacket? The giant walked up the knoll straight at Sully and Doran. Doran sat, holding his broken arm, flinching in anticipation of the beating to come. Doran stood straight and still as a rock, eyes wider than moons. You two, how about joining an outfit worth the air it breathes? What are you on about, old boy? Then he grinned at the delirious pair. I'm thinking, if we're on the hunt and all, it's time to rebuild my army. 
And so ends Volume 1 of Gafgar and the Eternally Unfurnished. Thank you for tuning in to Chronosphere Fiction. Volume 2 will be Chapters 4 and 5. Until then, keep your cosmos clean.